0: Hello everyone. How are you? Good. Let's play my favorite game in fall. How many people think it's too warm in here? Nope. <laughs> nope. How, many, how many people think it's just right? Yeah. yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll make a deal with you. Okay. If you guys stay awake through the whole sermon, I will not make it cold again in here. All right. Because I, you, listen, listen, you guys come in here every week, you're like, it's so cold, it's so cold, who's in charge of the air condition? You're looking at the guy, I'm in charge of the air condition. I'm the guy, I'm it, I'm the one, seriously. And I leave it cold because you, a lot of people fall asleep when it gets a little too warm. So um, I'm not pointing out anybody. But I know. And I don't know if you know this, I can see your face. And you think you're just going to close your eyes for a minute, and then we say, amen, and you wake up. <laughs> so I, uh, I had an opportunity to go to dinner with Kim, her husband, John, a couple other friends this past week. And I'm sitting across the table from her. And I'm just, um, may I say, I've been so blessed to know oh, you.
1: That's so sweet. <laughs> that's so sweet. Well,
0: thank you. No, no, I'm just... Wow. I'm just and and um, i was just recounting some of the things that you have done in, in my life and with my family etc mm-hmm. um but just the the radical life that you have lived um for the Lord if you don't know this Kim and her along with her husband John mm-hmm. um about a decade and a half ago began a ministry in town called the Decatur House of Prayer we affectionately call it D-Hop anybody heard of D-Hop yeah. yes. yep yep let's go louder louder <laughs> that's right Um, but devoted her life to prayer and and just a number of other things. Um, I just wanted to bring her up here for a couple reasons. Number one, I would like her to read the passage of Scripture that we're going to go through this morning, Um, but also just to give you an opportunity to just encourage them if you have anything you want to say, and you don't have to say anything. I just want to say. So everybody, this is Kim Robinson. Can you say hi to her?
1: Thank you. Thank you. Gosh. Gosh, what would I say if I could say anything? Um, Go Chiefs. Maybe. <laughs>
0: <Hey>. <laughs> okay, it is Sunday. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's Sunday. I had to do it. Um, I would say perseverance and persistence with God is everything. Amen. Um, and I would also encourage you by that he, he doesn't need people that know what they're doing. He wants people that are just looking for him. Amen. Because it costs you everything, but in the end, you get everything. Right. Because you get him. Every day, you get him. And I could t- stand up here for hours and tell you story after story. But at the end, what we got is him.
0: Thank you, Kim. Go ahead and read our verse for us, if you don't mind.
1: The women accompanying Jesus. This is Luke 8, 1, 2, 3. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. The word of the Lord.
0: Praise be to God. <laughs> If you don't know her, get to know her. What a treat she will be in your life. And she's part of our church. Isn't that cool? Like, God brings the coolest people um, and the weirdest people into church with us sometimes. <laughs> she, she happens to be one of the cool ones. If you've ever been backpacking or hiking in a national park, you, um, you'll encounter these signs that say, Leave No Trace. So after you've recentered your mind through solitude and walking in nature, maybe taking burning 15 um, or taking 1,500 steps, 15,000 steps to burn your calories and close your activity ring, you are to leave nothing behind. The idea is that no one or no thing should be able to tell that you've been there. So whatever you pack in, you're supposed to pack out. Whether it be granola bar wrappers or water bottles, journal pages and pens, cigarette butts, I don't know your thing. Whatever it is that you take with you into the preserve or the park, you take out with you. Don't leave litter behind. But also don't do damage while you are there. The idea is that you shouldn't break down branches or small trees, creating your own shortcut from one path to another. Don't carve your initials into a tree. Yes, she loves you now, but she might not in two years. <laughs> right, everyone's done that. High school anyone? Don't carve your initials into a tree or into the sandstone walls of a cool, damp ravine at the bottom of a creek bed. So to the, idea, the driving point here is just leave no mark where you've been, and to participate with nature in such a way where nobody would know you've been there. And it's such a different ideology when you think about that on how we're supposed to live our normal lives. For example, I've been blessed to officiate many memorials and funerals of countless individuals who have died. And in every ceremony, I have witnessed family members or friends recount numerous stories of how the deceased person had impacted their lives. Through tears of sorrow and sometimes even joyful remembrance, they will say that their lives have been made better for having known that person. Others admit to the difficulties that they endured because of that cantankerous character, but nonetheless, they state their lives were not unaffected by them, but rather affected by by them. Our lives, hear me, do in fact leave a trace whether we like to admit it or not. Have you ever been asked what, um, what do you want your life to be remembered for? Have you ever considered that question? Or or what do you think people are gonna write on your tombstone after you die? It's a tough question to answer, especially when youth still pulses through your veins, young people. Yet the question's siren rings louder and more invasive with every new gray hair and every aching joint. Old people, anyone? A settled reservation takes hold in the autumn of a person's life. And one cannot help but wonder what kind of impact their lives will have made in their slice of the world. We must admit the truth, we want to leave a trace. We want to leave a noticeable change after us, not in some negative way like litter, but in a a way like Jesus does. When he goes someplace, there is a change after he is gone. Jesus, we might say, was the original influencer And we see this impact that Jesus makes in the lives of so many others. And we see a few of them in these short verses in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. In verse 1 of Luke 8, we read this, that soon afterwards, he, Jesus, this is in verse 1, Jesus went on through cities and villages, and he's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. There are many differences between the world that Jesus lived in and the one that we experience now. I know that. And most people would live their entire lives back in Jesus' day and not travel more than 30 miles from the place where they were born. And yet you and I, we drive 350 miles to Nashville for a bachelorette weekend. Anyone? I was in Nashville. I was, or I was in St. Louis yesterday for a volleyball tournament, in and out in 12 hours. It was awesome, and we lost. It sucked, I'm just saying. <laughs> And yet, with all of the lifestyle differences, the human condition between their world and our world is the same. It hasn't changed very much. For example, we would know this, that not everyone who heard Jesus proclaim the good news and the kingdom of God will will become one of his followers. We don't expect that in our world. Why would we expect that in his world? And we don't think every person repented and became a disciple, just like we know everyone who comes to this church and hears the gospel message presented becomes a Christian. We know that. But hear me and read what Luke is saying in chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 that Jesus didn't stop from going. It says in verse 1, he went on through cities and villages, that he continued to carry the message of the kingdom of God with him. Even with the certainty of rejection to his message, Jesus continued. Jesus was motivated by what the message could do. And so he kept proclaiming the message. The same is true for us. Same for us individually and corporately as a church called Renaissance. We have always been, and, and as long as I'm in charge, I don't, I'm not in charge, but you know what I'm saying. As long as I'm the lead pastor here, we will continue to be a church that's motivated to tell the truth and the love of Jesus to everyone and anyone who would listen. And we believe that God, the Holy Spirit, we will use our proclaiming to bring repentance and salvation to people. Sometimes when I teach here, I often say, I don't have to convince you. Have you ever heard me say that? I'm not trying to convince you of anything. It's not my job to convince you of anything. It is, in fact, the Holy Spirit's job. And if you want a, a passage for that, look at John chapter 16, verse eight. It just says that the Holy Spirit's job is to convince the world, to convict the world of its sin, and to let them know that they need a savior. Our job, my job, is to proclaim said truth. And we let the truth do its work. And notice this, that when Jesus is going about from town to town, to village to village, being um, unstoppable in his proclamation of the kingdom of God, unrelenting, even though people won't believe him, he continues, Jesus did not go it alone, that he went with other people. Luke continues in verse 1 and says this, And the twelve were with him. If you don't know much about your Bible's history or story, the 12 just refers to 12 disciples that Jesus had named and called unto himself, and they went with him. And verse 2, it says, and there were also, what, some women with him. And we'll focus on the women specifically in a moment, but for now, let us just notice how the Lord works together with others to bring good news to those who need it. Sometimes the work of heralding is hard, and co-laborers, as Joe was You know, saying earlier, participators, if you will, they bring encouragement, they can bring levity and assistance in the task of proclaiming. Sometimes it truly does take a village to succeed. So Jesus didn't go alone, and neither do we. Jesus started with a group of committed believers, 12 of them called disciples or apprentices, who left everything and followed Jesus and went with him, went everywhere with Jesus. Some would just come and go. They would join him for a little leg of his tour, and then they'd go home and plant or harvest or do whatever they would do, raise their children. And then when Jesus would come back, they would join him again. But God used people, and hear me when I say this, he used people like you and people like me to help him on his mission. And I think God is still doing that today. And God specifically, Luke tells us, did did not just use men. Again, in verse two, it says that Jesus also used women. And Jesus added to his ministry women here, verse two, it says, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. There's Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out. And there's Joanna, the wife of Chusa, of Herod's household manager. And there's Susanna and many others, many others. We don't have all the names of all of them, but many other women went with Jesus and they provided for the disciples and for Jesus and for the ministry out of their means But Luke gives us specifically three names, and with the addition of these names, it focuses us and forces us, rather, to pause and to consider what these individual lives must have been. How were they impacted by Jesus? Even even a cursory reading of first century Palestinian history would reveal the patriarchal culture favoring men above women. That's not a surprise to anyone. The The Roman society in Jesus' day viewed women as lower class citizens. They deemed women as inferior beings, unworthy of being educated or taught in schools. Men did not allow women to talk in public. In a court of law, a woman's testimony was considered unreliable without a man to confirm it. It was hard to be a woman in Jesus' day. Women today enjoy much greater access to education. Yes, money and individualism compared to 2,000 years ago. And we can even make the case that Christianity and its teachings have been instrumental in that momentum forward. Go, Jesus, change the culture around us. Yes and amen, yes. But even in Jesus' day, as I said, it's hard to be a woman, and hear me when I say this, and it was even harder to be a follower of Jesus. Previously, Luke had told us and his followers how Jesus... Um, believed his followers would be treated. He provides in the Sermon on the Plain. This is a few weeks ago. He says, people are going to persecute you. They're going to hate you. They're going to mock you. But you, my followers, are going to be lovers of your enemy. You're going to believe that joy will come from mourning, that the the weak and lowly will be exalted, exalted. There's an upside down way of living and you have to believe it. And if that's true for his male followers, can you imagine how much more true it was for his female followers who are already treated less than? And these women signed up for this. Joanna, Susanna, Mary called Magdalene. They signed up to follow Jesus. And they did so because of what Luke says for us that he made a change in their lives. An emphasis to the ability of Christ to meaningfully change lives is the focus of Luke's words here. Are we good? Do I need to turn on the air condition, yes or no? Yes. Yes. It's hot in here, isn't it? See, I told you, I, all right, let's try again. How many people think it's hot in here? Let's go. How many people think it's just right? Okay, you're liars, all of you, <laughs> liars, liars. No, I have no idea. I'm, I'm a little hot, but I, I, it's just because I'm preaching. All right, you see what I just did there? It's levity, now we're back, everybody back? Welcome, come on saw somebody back there yawning like this, covering his face. I saw it. He didn't think I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Terry, don't start now. Terry Mason, everybody. <laughs> Luke had said that Jesus not only proclaimed good news, it says in verse 1 that he went, to, he went to village to village, city to city, proclaiming and bringing. He brought good news too. And our case study to see this is in the life of a woman called Mary Magdalene. She was tormented by demons, seven of them in fact. And we can only imagine what her life must have been like. And Jesus, in his great power, and his great care, and his great love for her, he healed her. Not a little at a time, he fixed it. He removed those painful, tormenting spiritual beings that had been influencing her life. And she tasted freedom, and she devoted her life to Jesus from that point forward. And her marked history, her life rather, marked history as we know it. Mary was mentioned in all four Gospels in the Bible. She was one of the several Galilean women who followed Jesus and supported him and the other disciples. She devoted her life to Jesus. She was there when the spikes were hammered through his hands and his feet into the cross of his execution. John says that she was with Jesus' own mother and John and another disciple. When all the other disciples had cowered away in the shadows, Mary was there when Jesus was crucified. And she, with some other women, witnessed the burial of Jesus and both Matthew and John portray her as the first witness to the resurrection on that Sunday morning when he raised from the dead. Jesus changed her life. And no matter how hard it was for her to follow him, she devoted her life to him. We don't have as much detail in the Bible on the lives of Joanna or Susanna, but we have to surmise that these women experienced life much like you and I. Theirs was a simple, just like yours, just like mine kind of existence. And yet they made a difference wherever they went, so much that the gospel writers include their names. These short verses in Luke's gospel just inspire us to do do the same, to to leave a mark, to make a change. But how exactly can we make an impact in our world? First, I tell you this, that we have to sense the urgency. J.C. Ryle writes this, that time is undoubtedly short. It's short for us. I've I've preached this before. Um, There's a very strong likelihood that one year from now, somebody or some bodies that are in this room now will no longer be with us. And I don't mean like they've moved on to another church or better church a cooler church. I don't know. I mean, they might have died between now and a year from now. Time is short, it's undoubtedly short. But now, Ryle continues, is the only season in which Christians can do any active work, listen, of mercy. In the world to come, call it heaven, call it whatever you want. There is going to be no ignorant to instruct, no mourners to comfort, no spiritual darkness to enlighten, no distress to relieve, no sorrow to minister. Whatever work we are to do must be done on this side of the grave. It must be done now. So let us awake to our sense of individual responsibility. Ryle continues, souls are perishing and time is flying. Let us resolve by God's grace to do something for God's glory before we die. Simply stated, J.C. Ryle says, just get after it. Just do it now. If God has changed your life, mark the world around you. I saw my dog hiking his leg when I said, mark the world around you. His name's Wally. He's 15. He's a shih tzu. I call him a little shih tzu. And he <laughs> And we're thinking he's going to die any time now. But in Jesus name and by the Holy Spirit's power, he still lives. I don't understand. He has no teeth and can't hear and barely sees. He's awesome. Are we back? Everybody? Do I need to turn the air conditioner on? Is it hot in here? I know, I know. Stay, stay awake. Okay, so we can make a change and we can do it now. God wants us to do something for others. He wants us to be like a Joanna, a Susanna, a Mary Magdalene, a John, a Mark, a someone who just lives their life in such a way that others look at that and go, man, what's different about them What's unique about them? And then, if someone gets to know you, maybe over tacos or something, you share how your life was this, now it's this. And the changing moment was this encounter you had with the risen Lord Jesus. All God is asking to Parrot Kim is just people to to join with him in it. You don't have to be super smart. Look at me. (laughs) Like, I'm up here. For real, I'm up here. This cracks me up. He just wants people to get involved. So understandably, there can be great pessimism in the world around us today. The stories of wars breaking out in the Middle East. right? You guys are hearing about what's taking place in Israel and with Hamas and all of that in the Gaza Strip. Somebody asked me this morning if we're going to talk about it, and I said, nope. And they want me to explain it all, and I'm like, I have no idea what's happening over there. (laughs) I don't know. And I can minimize that with, with comedy. I just know this. And in the midst of turmoil and struggle, Jesus is the answer. I don't mean to just minimize it, but Jesus has something to to do with it. Anyways, in the midst of the stores of wars breaking out in the Middle East, or the pharmaceutical companies pushing their quote-unquote safe pain pills, knowing that they're highly addictive, or reading in the news of families who are facing poverty and being forced into poverty by the rising cost of necessities, it's easy to become disenchanted with the world around us. Yes and amen? Yes. And we can become even angered at the people who are causing these things. It's so-and-so, it's those people, it's the this or that. And we can become affected in such a way that we begin to think that those people are the problem. They're the worst. But that would be a mistake. We must remember that all of God's people are made in the image of God, which means that they all have value beyond what they do. Intrinsically, they have value. Yet, like you and I, they are fallen people. And they need to hear the message of God's kingdom through his son, Jesus. And so we can, I would say, no, we must participate in proclaiming and bringing that truth to others. Writing about this ability to impact and change the world, pastor, evangelical scholar, John Stott declares this, we are not powerless in the world around us. Yes, it's an encouraging truth. Sometimes we don't begin because we don't think we can succeed, but John Stott reminds us of the power that we have in Christ Jesus. He writes this, I'm afraid that what we are rather is lazy, he says. We are short-sighted and unbelieving and disobedient, he would argue for some of us, to the commission of Jesus Christ. A stinging rebuke for sure, but we must also hear his words as a pastor. His pastor's call to modify our lives for Christ and his message. Stott then lays out four simple ways that we can enjoin with the Lord in his work. Before we jump into those, are you hearing what I'm saying today? This is not others' business. It's your business as believers. What can you do to help change the world around you? First, to parrot my good friend, Kim, there is power in prayer. Kim, that's your cue. Amen. Amen. I didn't, you want to try again? There is power in prayer. Amen. All right. <laughs> Amen. There is power in prayer. Don't dismiss this as some pious platitude. It's not. There are some Christians who are such social activists, and we need social activism, yes, but they never stop to pray first, and they would be wrong in doing so. Prayer is not indispensable. It's not an indispensable part of the Christian's life and the church's life. The church's first duty towards society and its leaders is to pray for them. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, and I don't have these verses for you, just... I want to read them for you. He just writes this, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving must be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. 1 Timothy 2. Second, there's power in truth. All of us believe in the power of truth of the gospel. Yes, we love to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God that brings salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. But we are convinced that there's power in words beyond the gospel. There's power of the gospel that brings salvation for sure, but it's not the only words that is powerful. Hear me when I say this. All of God's truth is powerful, yes? It's all truth, and it's all powerful. God's word is true. Earlier when I came out and quoted Psalm 3, and I said, he is the lifter of our heads. How many people heard that? Like heard it? Like God spoke to them that, God, you can lift my head and you can do something that I can't. It's too heavy for me right now, God. I can't change the circumstance. I can't do anything. But he says that you're the lifter of my head, and something inside of you just began to sing. Just began to like commune with the Lord in that whatever that is, Lord, I'll take that from you. Can you lift my head? I want that, and that's truth. It has nothing to do with salvation. He just says life's hard. I'm in it, bro. <laughs> you think God's abandoned you? Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. I am the shield about you, the lifter of your head, and I can hear from my holy place, is what God is saying. That's true, yes? yes? All right. And it's powerful. Thirdly, we have power in our example. This is really the thrust of this message, but there's truth in the power of our lives exhibited for others. They need not only just understand the argument for Jesus and his resurrection, but they need to see the argument and our belief in said argument example or exemplified rather in our lives. Christians are marked people. Right? The world is watching. And God's major way of changing the old society and the old ways is to implant within it, in his new society, different values, different standards, different joys, different goals, different other stuff. Anyone? Right And God's doing so through said Christians like you and I. Our hope is that the watching world will see these differences and find them attractive, not appalling. Matthew chapter five says this, that the people may see our good deeds and glorify God, the Father, in us. Fourth and lastly, Christians have the power of group solidarity. And this is JC um, this sorry, this is John Stott again, his language. He just says that there's power in a dedicated minority. According to the American sociologist Robert Belair at the Institute for Advanced Study at Princeton, he says this, we should never underestimate the significance of the small group of people who have a vision of a just and gentle world. The quality of a whole culture may be changed when 2% of its people have a vision. And that is the way of Jesus. Listen to this, Jesus began with a small group of people, only 12 men, then some women, and it grew and it grew and it grew. And within a few years, Roman officials complained that Christians were turning the modern world upside down. (laughs) Anyone? I love you. Mm -hmm. Here we go. But come next November, Right, that's not the thing that's going to change the world around us. I love you. It, it might help your retirement and all kinds of stuff, and might make some benefits for others. And I, we could all day we could debate this stuff, but that's not the answer for this world. Is it hot in here? You guys with me? Okay. <laughs> Hans, is that you? All of John Stott's actions require something of us that many don't want to consider. It's a surrender of self-preservation and of self-interest, but we must put the needs of others and the will of God before our own. Trusting the faithfulness of God to prevent harm to us, we move forward by giving our lives to others. In the Christian faith, we call this dying to self. It's a selfless act of obedience. Later in Luke's gospel, um, he records Jesus' own words describing the cost of this type of discipleship. It's Luke chapter 14, verse 27. The words may or may not show up behind me, but it says this. It says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. These are the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that he is the one that said this. And the idea of taking up their own cross or bearing their own cross, it speaks to a self-death, um, if you will. The cross is an a execution device. He's speaking of dying, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And the natural, when a person dies, their impact on society begins to wane. Read any articles about Steve Jobs lately? He gone. He gone. Right, he made an impact, but we're not hearing about him all the time. Like, his impact is starting to wane, Yes? However, in spiritual death, the spiritual death that you and I have in following Christ and bearing the cross, it is a fountainhead providing life giving examples to others to participate and follow. To parrot the Apostle Paul, we say these words follow me as I follow Christ. That's what we say as Christians. Jesus was willing to surrender his life for the sake of many, and we must be willing to do so. And, And not the natural necessarily, sometimes, but for sure spiritually. We must put others before ourselves and the will of God as well. I will tell you now, I think often of the men and women who showed me the way of Christ through their costly choices of self-surrender. My first pastor, Pastor Dave, was a selfless man who encouraged me with kindness and faith. He gave that to me even when it wasn't deserved by me. That I would moan sometimes and complain oftentimes about him and his leadership, <laughs> only to have him shower me with compassion and love. My wife, Stacy, of 27 years, often chooses to lovingly engage in conversations about my behavior that she thinks is unchristlike. <laughs> Did I have often? Yes, often chooses to engage. In conversations. But listen, rather than walking the easier path of peace and quiet in the home, she invites me, sometimes kicking and screaming, into a God honoring rebuke of an aspect of my life which is beneath God's plan for me. She chooses my betterment and, and, a, and a, an argument would ensue because of how I'm acting but she chooses that because she knows God's got something for me that I cannot get in the way that I'm acting now. She engages in my life and we engage in the lives of other people for their benefit. And some of you may be joyfully married and have often said, "Who told you to be the Holy Spirit in my life with your spouse?" God did. He's telling them to speak into your <laughs> life. There are so many other people in this room, many of them in this room who have laid their dead bodies of submission before Christ, and they have been a waypoint for me. Kim Robinson is one of those people. I've seen the most Christ-like generosity and patience from some of you. Many of you faithfully serve God's people here in the church and elsewhere. And when weariness from ministry makes my bones begin to ache, I am encouraged to carry on when I see you. If we look closely, we too can see the dead bodies of our own fellow brothers and sisters and follow the way of God. If we look closely. Ironically, I mentioned walking into the mountains or hiking or doing this trail stuff, you know. Um, the idea is to leave no trace. But ironically, the pinnacle of hiking or mountain climbing experience of or experience is standing at the summit of Mount Everest. And did you know there's more trash on that mountaintop than on any other? <laughs> Over the years, the climbers have left behind a tremendous amount of waste, even their own poo. I wrote that. Even their own poo. <laughs> and because they use all of their energy just to scale the top of the mountain, leaving them way too exhausted to carry out what they brought in, they just leave it behind. And here's a a disturbing factoid for you. In fact, there are over 200 dead bodies of climbers that ran out of oxygen or got caught in a storm or fell in a ravine, who died on the mountain or are still on the mountaintop. One such body um, is known as Green Boots. Has anyone heard of Green Boots before? He's so named because of the color of the corpse's boots, they're green. And the body has not been officially identified, but he is presumed to be a 28-year-old Indian Sherpa who lost his life during a terrible blizzard in 1996. Looking for shelter in the storm, he crawled into a shallow cave made of rock and of ice, and he huddled in that cleft of the rock, and he held himself in a fetal position trying to stay warm, where he died waiting for the storm to pass. Safety and logistical concerns make it difficult, if not impossible, to retrieve those bodies that die up there so they're still there. Showing no signs of rot nor decay, his body has become a landmark on the main northeast ridge on the route to the top of Mount Everest. In fact, he is used as a waypoint for people. The Sherpas say, hey, when you turn the corner and you see green boots, you're 500 meters from the top. That dead body points the way to the top of the mountain. The choices that we make in following Jesus can be used by others to show them the way. When circumstances seem dire and no hope seems available, we can kneel down, place our face in our hands, and rather than trying to stay warm, we can pray. And our fetal position of prayer can be seen as the way of trust and devotion to God's ultimate plan for our lives. We become like a surrendered body. One critics would say is given up for dead, but we believe God will work it out for us because God always works it out for us. (laughs) Holy Spirit. In our voyage through Luke 8, 1 through 3, and through these little lessons that we've gleaned, you and I can embark on an expedition akin to traversing this mountainous range of life. The image of leaving no trace behind when hiking or backpacking is contrasted with our desire to leave a lasting and positive mark in the world around us. We acknowledge, Lord, we acknowledge before you that our lives leave an imprint on others. And we we yearn rather to echo the transformative influence of Jesus to others. Jesus was the original influencer, proclaiming the kingdom of God, undeterred by certainty of rejection, yet he was motivated by the potential impact of his message. He knew that the message of God's kingdom could change the lives of so many people and ultimately change the world He brings, in fact, good news. And we, too, motivated to share the same truth and love of Jesus, understanding the Holy Spirit's role in coming alongside of us and helping us do the same. We recognize the importance of this work. Right? Is it hot in here? The inclusion of the names in Luke's gospel, it challenges the patriarchal, patriarchal norms of the time, for sure. But it emphasizes the individual lives that Jesus changed. Before we laid the carpet on this platform some three years ago, we were renovating this space upstairs and we invited the church to come in one evening and just pray for people that might come to church. The church had been growing for some years at this point. This is back in 2018, 19. And, and we invited the church to come in and just to write the names of people that you've been praying for. And so everyone grabs a Sharpie and starts writing names underneath this carpet. And the next day, the carpet layers came in and says, this is crazy, what are all these people? And they just laid carpet right, or carpet right on top of it. But in an act of faith and in a motivation to pray for those individuals, their names are forever entombed underneath this carpet. I may share this story because it's my story, but every name that I wrote on this stage, every person whose name I wrote on the stage, has come to this church. It was, <laughs> it was not hard for me to grab a, mar- a marker and write their name down and to pray for them while doing so. You think that was hard? No. And yet God honored it and has brought every person through those doors right there. Every person Your life impacts more people than you believe. Your prayers change the course of your coworkers and friends and family members. The simple act of letting their their future life in Christ be a motivation to you to set aside time for Netflix and chill, or set aside time for a second dinner, or time for something, just to giving yourself over to these things that would honor God and His people and, and the work that God might do. Doing so changes the lives of others. And so I want to be a church that does so. I want to be a church that believes this. Would you just say, I believe this? Yes, amen. Just say amen. It's okay. It's okay. I can find another church. It's fine. <laughs> Let's finish up with this. I'm almost done. Reflecting on those four ways that John Stott says that we can change the world, power in prayer, power in truth, power in example, and power in group solidarity, we are reminded that we are not powerless to affect change. God uses us. Each one of us are empowered to change the world. And just like climbers on Mount Everest, they use landmarks like, like green boots as waypoints on their ascent, one surrendered life can serve, our surrendered lives rather, can serve as beacons for others trying to follow their way, find their way to God. Through a surrendered, selfless life, we can illuminate the path for others and leave a mark that tes- testifies to the transformative power of faith in Christ. So let's follow Christ's example and go from town to town, to village to village, proclaiming and bringing the kingdom of God to others. Would you stand with me? Church is fun. It don't have to be. It don't have to be. We don't have to have fun. But God is good and he lets it be fun for us. Yeah? I want to pray. Bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you with hearts filled with gratitude and of awe. Thank you, God. Thank you for the precious insights that we have gained this morning and the reminder of the impact that our lives can leave on the lives of others. Call us to follow in the footsteps of our Lord, the one we we call Lord, Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, I pray that you grant us the strength and the courage to proclaim your good news of your kingdom just as Jesus did. Give us the place to go, give us the person to, to speak to. God, help us to walk alongside fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, supporting and encouraging one another in our journey of faith. Help us to sense also, God, the urgency in our mission and our, our desire to fervently pray, believing in the power of prayer to effect change. God, guide us to become beacons of truth and examples of love, showing the world the transformative power of faith. Make our lives be surrendered to you, reflecting your selfless love and leaving a lasting and positive trace in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Amen.